Italian Impact Weekly is sponsored by Steve Mancini and his sponsors. Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And I'm Claudio Relsano with the Bad Voice, and we'd like to welcome you to our show, Italian Impact Weekly. We were, we're here to discuss a wide range of issues from business medicine to sports and entertainment. And as I always say on my TV boxing show, The Boxing Authorities, we are here to, we are informative and entertaining. And I butchered that opening a little bit, but that's okay. You sure did, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you a break. All right. Sick. All right. Thank you again for joining us. I sound worse than I am, but uh, that's what he says, but I'm right. staring at him. <laughs> But again, a big, th- big thank you to our listeners from actually all over the world that are listening right now on khbradio.com. Again, appreciate that. And uh, in the meantime, um, for any of our listeners, no matter where you're at, if you're interested in being a guest or you have some questions for us or our guests, or you're just thinking of sponsoring a show, feel free to email us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Again, that's questions at italianimpactweekly.com. We have a great guest today before uh, we're going to do our thing in the, at the first part of the show. We have a great guest, a good friend of mine, Bob Bazzelli. He is currently the managing partner of Terra Nova Capital Investment Bank and business manager of the Smokey Robinson Family Office and Entertainment Company, as well as the partner in the Smokey Robinson Wine Company, also managing partner in Apollo 3, a technology and cybersecurity company. Bob has done so much, and he's a great guy. I met him in August at the Italian Hall of Fame Banquet. And we became fast friends, and he's been there for me to try to help me with my speaking business. And uh, he's just a great guy, and I'm looking forward to having him on the show. Steve. Well, based on your voice, I would yeah. say he has a long way to go. I know, go. I know. <laughs> no, I know. it's all good. That's all right. What did the old Billy Crystal thing say? Uh, it's better to, to look good than it is to feel good. There you so go. I look good. All right, I'll <laughs> give you that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, before we have Bob on the show, um, I heard there's a big, some sort of sporting match this weekend. Can you... Uh, Help me out. What's going on this weekend again? It's Carnegie Mellon's having our first baseball practice, if that's what you mean. <laughs> now, Super Bowl. Who Super cares? Bowl. Philly right. against. No, I meant because of Super Bowl. Carnegie <laughs> okay. Mellon's fine. At least um, it's local. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Eagles against the Chiefs. Big Super Bowl. And uh, we have an Italian guy coaching. So you don't even have to ask me who, I'm, uh, who I think is going to win. So <clears throat> I'll tell you what. And it's funny you say that. Being from Pittsburgh, we're supposed to not root for Philadelphia. But I, I kind of disagree with that. I think you root for the state, and it's Philadelphia. And we're kind of, you know, they're the other side, and that's okay. But uh, I'll tell you something else. You know, I've been listening to a lot of talking heads all week, you know, reading the Vegas odds, you know, reading all the book, you know, the sports books and all that good stuff. And they're saying, you know, close game, Philly by one and a half. Who do you have? Philly. They have too many weapons. Uh, they have a better defense. Kansas City has Mahomes. They don't have the running game they used to have. Uh, they have Kelsey, the, the, the tight end. Uh, he's good. And, and Mahomes is just a special player, one of the best ever in my opinion. he's banged up right he's now. He's got a high ankle that, yeah. sprain. But um, I like, I like uh, Philly. I think they're going to go into a little more exuberance, new team, basically going to the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm gonna, I think they're going to eke it out. I'm kind of with you. <laughs> you know what, though? I, I do not think it's going to be an eke out. I, I don't know why. There's just something that tells me that this is going to be – everyone's like, no, they're not going to win by eight or nine. Like, I, I'm not sure about that. I actually think Philly's going to beat them by at least a touchdown. You know what? I, I said eke out, but I actually had 31-17. So, man, that's not really eking no, out. No, no, but... that's a good – at least you're going to be the over the under. Yeah. I think the over under is 51 <laughs> right now. But, no, but then, you know what? Now, most folks are not tuning in to Excuse talk me. about, you know, who's going to win the game because right. that's why they play it. We can all speculate all day long, and there's people that make a career out of speculation. Um, But I think we're going to focus on one little kind of fun fact that pulls out of this is the coach, Nick Sirianni. So Italian coach, and uh, obviously you've you've been coaching for a lot of years. I used to coach for a lot of years. Um, You followed a lot of coaches, you know, Italian, not Italian. You know, when you think of this guy and you think about Philadelphia, what's the job he's done? From a coach's perspective, looking at him, what are your thoughts as you clear your throat in the background? Oh, excuse me. I'm no, really sorry about that. That's what's fun about live radio. And I'll tell you, every time I do live radio, I almost do not want it I apologize. to be smooth. No, you're good. So what do you but, think about him as a coach? To be honest with you, I haven't studied him. And it's rare. I have not studied him. Um, I've studied guys like Jim Valvano, John Calipari, Dick Vermeil, uh, Vince Lombardi. Every Italian coach studied Vince Lombardi. But Tommy Lasorda, Tony LaRusso, Joe Torre, I can go on and on, Raleigh Massimino. But I um, haven't studied this guy just yet, but uh, obviously he's doing a great job. I want to see longevity. Right. Okay, make sure he's not a hit and miss. 
There's too many of those out there. They're ready to throw them into the Hall of Fame after one Super Bowl. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. We have that problem in Pittsburgh. He's very passionate, uh, which comes with uh, being Italian. But, um, yeah, he's doing well. He's making a nice name for himself. And, um, like I said, we'll see what happens, obviously, as his career goes by. But, um, you know, I've studied a bunch of coaches. You know, Herm Edwards. I love Herm Edwards and and Doug Collins and Chuck Tanner. So it's not just the Italian guys. Chuck Knox was like an uncle to me, as everybody who knows me. Knows that my dad grew up with Chuck Knox, the old uh, L.A. Rams, Seattle Seahawks, Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. coach. And uh, when Chuck would come over, he, he wasn't Italian, but he was Italian. He loved Italian food. My mom would pound that table full of Italian food, and Chuck loved it. And and uh, missed Chuck, but he was very special in my life. But uh, And Jim Valvano was a very good friend of mine. And John Calipari is a good friend of mine, uh, the head coach at Kentucky. And these guys were – Jim was great with my mom and dad, especially my mom when my mom was sick. And John was – Super great with my dad. And when John would call, or I mean, when I would talk to John, first thing he would say is, how's your dad? In a letter, how's your dad? You know, and uh, so he's the best. But I studied them because you, you, you look up to people or emulate people, whatever it is, that you're similar to. And I saw the passion, how they coached. They weren't the roll-up-the-program type guys and just sat there and let the game go by. They dove in to the game. They were Vince Lombardi had a great saying. The greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in victory. The second greatest feeling in the world is to lie exhausted in defeat. In other words, give it all you got. Yeah, and they did, and I do, and I'm drained after every game. And uh, and then to get to be friends with these guys was really special. And I think that, you know, it's funny because that passion, I I coached hockey for decades, and that passion, you can't fake that. And players can pick that up. Yeah. And that is going to determine how they're going to play for you. You can you can do things right on paper, but if you're there going through the motions, or you know, I'll give you a good example. If you're you're let's say you're coaching in a smaller school or, or you know a minor league program, players can sense like, oh, this is just this person's stepping stone. They're out Great of here. Point. You know, they're going to play good because they want to get noticed and they want to get out of there. But when you commit to a to a team to the players, even if you're not going to be there a long time, they're going to give it back to you, and that's where a lot of success comes from. Right. Now, yeah, I get it. The strategy is obviously just as important to being able to develop the players, but but I think you cannot replace true passion from a coach if you're a player. And again, I think they pick up on that. Well, you know, I, I tell my team, I don't care if we're up ten. Score 11. If we're down 10, score 11. I don't want when somebody, a fan, a friend, or a family member, whatever, comes to a game, I don't want them to know what the score is by watching us. I want just go all out all the time. Then, uh, another thing uh, you know that, that you mentioned, I don't care if we're Division One, Two, Three Club, Major League. I expect my guys to go full blast. I know I don't look at it that way. I go full blast. And the team, most of the time, is the coach's signature, his personality. Right. So I want my I team to be that. one of those teams. <clears throat> the first team I coached, 1988, Quaker Valley Quakers. I was 23 years old. And we were down most of those games. We get in the huddle. It was over for the other team. We had them where we wanted. And I want my teams to fight, you know, to, to keep battling. One time we were down in a game, something like 10, 11 runs. And I remember one of my players told the rest of the team something that I always say, let's do something that we can tell our grandkids about. Okay. It's easy to win four to two, five. But when you're down 10 and come back and win, that's, that's a, a big story and, and something you'll remember forever. And my guys remember those games more than the championships. So, uh, oh, and that's where the memories are made. Exactly. No, I absolutely agree with that. By the way, on a fun fact, I just heard on the radio is there something about um, that they're going to implement some kind of a 10 run rule, a mercy rule? Did you hear that? I did not hear that. Uh, I just was, they were talking about that on the radio. I don't know if they were kidding or not. I don't know if it was well, No, no. I, he- I heard about that the Pirates were involved in something like. 15 games. Oh, they get where blown out a few games. <clears throat> they were blown out by 10, yeah. But those coaches... Don't worry, it's this year. Right. This is the year they're going to oh, turn sure, it around. Sure. They've got some prospects. <laughs> but those coaches I mentioned, um, you know, I studied them inside and out and, and watched them. And um, like I said, you're attracted to them because you're similar to them. Right. And, and there's been... Or a ten- want to be similar <clears throat> to them because they're successful. Well, that part of it, but I mean, there's a lot of other... Since we're talking about Italians, there's other Italian we're coaches... Gonna, we're going to go to that one, yeah. That... that, that were successful that just weren't my cup of tea. Interesting. You know, uh, again, <clears throat> I was 
into the more demonstrative guys, the guys who just didn't sit there with the program rolled up. Most baseball coaches, no offense to them, everybody does what they do. You don't want to be fake, you know, but the pencil behind the, the ear and they sit there and spit. I don't do that. I pace. I get into the I get into the I'm the only idiot coach who tore his meniscus. Okay, because I jump, you know, I, I I jump up and down. I, I just get wound up. You and, spilled and, your water and you jumped up out of excitement. You, <laughs> well, I'm on third base when I coach. But um, head coach on third base, always. always wow, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah. That's but, out there uh, in the game. Story. I'm, I got to be involved in the game, no, but that's um, good. so I enjoy it. Well, let's go back to that though, because I do want to talk about some of those Italian coaches. Mm-hmm. Now there've been a lot over the years. Sure. I don't care what you know whether you're into sports or not. There's just going to be some of these names that you will have heard. So if you were, let's talk about two kind of classes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about current coaches. We'll just focus because there's a lot of good coaches out there, and we don't want to get into like, well, who's the best coach? Like, let's talk about Italian coaches. Who are some good ones that are out there now? What makes them good? You know, at, to be honest with you, they, I studied more of these guys on the way up to where I am now. The guys who are there now. Um, again, back to Calipari. You know, he is uh, not only a great X and O guy, not only a great motivator, but he's a good man. And he cares for those kids. <clears throat> he has a great line, especially in Kentucky. Those guys leave early. They all leave early. The one and dones, right? They blame him for that. But nonetheless, there was some players that said, Coach, I think, I think I'm ready for the NBA. And he had a great line. He said, if you want to do what's good for me, you'll stay. If you want to do what's good for you and your family, you'll go to the NBA. Go to the NBA. You know, and he helps them. He he makes calls. He he has NBA day. They all do. But um, he's he's probably had in the last ten years more first and second round draft picks than any other coach in NCAA history. The one year he got criticized when I think they went to the Final Four. I think, and he had like five or six NBA lottery picks. And he said, this is Kentucky's finest moment. It's, oh, no, when we won the championship, that was Kentucky, the team. The, the, we're creating generational wealth right. with these guys. And uh, so it's not about him. It's not about John. And, and that stuck with me. And uh, like when we won our champ- first uh, conference championship at CMU, I didn't go crazy and jump up and down or anything like that. It was about them. I've done my thing, and I still want to do more. I still want more trophies. And Who more, doesn't uh, want to win, right? Yeah, exactly. But I wanted them to enjoy it, and I just kind of stood back and watched. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was special. Who else sure. you like out there? Now, um, geez, I got some going, I'm dating myself, Rolodex through my head. But the, the, the older guys that I studied – I studied the Joe Tories and the Tommy Lasorda's. Uh, we're talking about the town, but Herm Edwards, love Herm Edwards, um, uh, guys like that. But you know Vince Lombardi. Everybody studied Vince Lombardi, and you know Lombardi kind of gets a different bit of a slant where they make it sound like he was like a bully. Those players to this day, when they talk about him, they get in tears, they get choked up because he really wanted them to be better individuals on the field and off. The, those old coaches, the guys I just mentioned, the Tony LaRusses, who was a great X and O guy, great X and O guy, learned, I studied him a lot. Joe Torre was more of a guy who they wanted to break down the wall for him, okay? So he, I was attracted to him as well. But I don't know if the coaches today are as good at improving the players on the field as they used to be. Well, you know, My that's, opinion. A, no, that's a good point because the problem now is it's pressure, it's pressure to win for the program. It is all about the money. And, I, and, I, and I'm not saying it wasn't about the money back sure. then, but there was still um, what I'll call it a self-accountability, both from a player perspective, from a coach protect, you know, perspective, because, you know, the contracts just weren't what they were. Athletics, it was just, it was just a different game back then. I, I, I don't know how yeah, to explain but, it, but, but there's something should... different about and And, and, I'm, and I'm one kind of thing I think really is changing sports, and I don't think it's for the better. I think the overabundance of gambling is really switching sports. Fantasy football. It's, right. It's all about yeah. stats. Yeah. So now the players want to go out and get stats. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there aren't, there's not a lot of good players trying to win for the team. I'm not saying that. Right. But I'm also not saying that they're not out there for themselves. I want to get paid. Okay, I get it. And you'll get paid. Mm. But, you know, it's it's the too much reliance now on everything is the individual points. Fantasy football is a True. good one. Fantasy baseball, fantasy hockey, whatever. It's points, 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 points on the individual and your fantasy team wins. Or, you know, it's all gambling. Gambling on everything. Gambling on what play is going to get called. You know, who's he going to, is he going to pull the quarterback after yeah. the third or is just kind of going to make two interceptions? It's all, it's, I, I think that is so negative 
for sports. I, I, it's just me. To your point, years ago when Richie Hebner, who was a very popular Pittsburgh Pirate, when he went to the Phillies, man, that broke our hearts. And, and we, I was the only one who wore different, you know, uh, different uh, team logos. We all wore the Pirates. You didn't wear anybody else. I liked the Yankees a little bit back then too, but I wore anywhere Yankees have wore pirate stuff. But I wore LA Rams, Buffalo Bills, Seattle Seahawks because I knew the coach. But everybody accepted that. <clears throat> I get your and you're right. Fantasy football now everybody's rooting for everybody. There's no right. Where's the team, team loyalty? Yeah, but money shouldn't have to do with X's and O's and improving a player's skills. Agree. And I've been very critical in baseball. <clears throat> and and, and the, I don't believe now somebody listening to this who's a baseball coach. Oh, I'm better than Claudio. Well, actually, you're not. But that's another story. But but you tell them Claudio. That's yeah, the truth. <laughs> if I told him I wasn't as good as they were, I, I, I'd be well, no. What's yeah, Rocky Marciano saying? He's if I told him I, I was no good, I'm lying. If I told him I wasn't better than them, I, I'm, no. Let me do that over again, Rocky Marciano. He's, he's coughing now. I know, he's screwing up Rocky. Come on, too fast. man. This is he said, If I told you that I couldn't beat a guy. If I told you I could beat the guy one round, I'm bragging. If I told you I couldn't, I'm lying. There you there go. You there you go. go. I got it right finally. I'm not 100% today. Oh, no, but no, no. The, it's the all thing good. is. The, I couldn't the, remember that. The, uh, I don't even remember what I have for I'm, breakfast. I'm good today. with sayings. Oh, I but I, I, I just don't think that improving players is as good as it was when I was coming well, up. And I'll throw two things at you on that. And again, we're actually going to get running. Well, we're running up against the clock already, but I, I want to throw two quick things out there. One is the, the individual uh, players. You know, the teams now are backing off some of the practices because they don't want to risk injury to the players because the players are bringing in too much money. And now you got to flip that. Now they're bringing all this money in. The colleges have always been bringing money in. But now they're starting to, again, they're taking these pro coaches, they're bringing them down to college, and they're coaching them to run pro offices so they can drop out, get get out of there as quick as as possible and drop them into a pro team. It's money, money, money. And and to your point, I'm going to develop this person to work in a system so they can immediately – Get out. The program looks good. Look, you come to our program. You know, you're going to go to the pros. Look at all the people we've put out there. So whatever. All right. We're actually almost up against our break time. So, Claudio, back to you. All right. Well, we're going to talk about one of our sponsors, the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame Pittsburgh Chapter. We will have our annual scholarship banquet Wednesday, August 2nd at Lamont's. Uh, More information coming. Uh, It's a great banquet. We're also doing a membership drive. And as far as uh, me, my my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Call culture on the field and in the office you can get that on my website claudiorelsano.com barnes and noble and robinson township and my show where i've interviewed such legends as mario andretti ken griffey senior roman gabriel vince ferragamo vinnie paz donnie Lalonde, jerry cooney you can check that show out rocky blyer jim rooker uh, a lot of pirates on claudiorelsano.com and the best boxing show on tv go to channel box click on the wbc live with luther dupree jr and smoking jim frazier Oh man, good! You are a busy man. Got a lot of stuff busy. going. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, we have a guest coming up pretty soon here any do. minute. Uh, you know what? He has such a fantastic resume. He is currently the managing partner at Terra Nova Capital Investment Bank, business manager of the Smokey Robinson Family Office and Entertainment Company. He's a partner of the Smokey Robinson Wine Company, also managing partner in Apollo Three, a technology and cybersecurity company. He graduate from Carnegie Mellon. He's just a great guy. I met him in August of last year, and he. As I said, he's been nothing but uh, great with me. And uh, is he is he on yet? Or okay, no. well I can give more what he does really. Well, no, like no, said, That's good he, stuff, he was though. at the Grammys. Um, uh, we'll talk to him about that. I have the and, most uh, important fact though. What's that? He went to the same high school as me. Uh, at uh, wait a minute, Central, uh, Central Catholic. Catholic. Come yeah, on, yeah. Dan Marino was out there. Dan Marino, Mark Bulger. Okay, and then uh, oh, oh my God, I feel terrible. The the one from Buffalo. Just oh, uh, Demar. Thank you, uh, Hamlin. Hamlin, yeah, yeah. Ugh, yeah. I'm, I'm they sorry. say he's going to play again. I think. You know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. You know, I mean, well, I'll say it like this. I mean, I'm not the guy's doctor, but Crystal Tang had two strokes, yeah, you know, and he's yeah. playing hockey, which is a very, um, you know, a lot of exertion in that sport. You know, he's getting sure. hit. And I remember, and I remember, tell you what, I remember when Latang came back, it was a few years ago. I mean, guys were pretty much gunning for him. So, you know, right. they can they can come back at that level because the training and the conditioning that they're in right now is such that – I have no no doubt in my mind these guys can come back from that. And I do wish him the best. Oh yeah, you know because you do. You know he's too young. You want the guy to come back. I would love to see the guy come back. I'm not a Buffalo fan. You know, whatever. But you know, it's just right. as a person, you know, you want this guy to come back and play again. So good luck to him. Yeah, and I do want to apologize to the fans of the show. I, I'm really well, struggling okay. here, so I apologize. We're well, gonna really uh, here because you're gonna be talking a lot to Bob. All right, all right. Here we go. 
Bob, what's happening? I gave everybody your great introduction, and I also told them how great you've been with me. And I tell you that every time I see you, I appreciate your kindness to, to, to and for me. Uh, so welcome to the show. Thanks, Claudio. Hey, Steve, how are you guys? I appreciate it. All right, brother. We're living the dream. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just getting back from L.A., so I'm just trying to get caught up on the time zone switches as well as all the... Uh, emails and everything else you know so <laughs> right right you know what let's talk about that first we're going to start off with that before we go into your the, the 17 year old bob bazelli in bloomfield but you were at the grammys this week tell us about that experience yeah it was pretty pretty interesting obviously unique um you know as i as you know i work with Smokey robinson as a business manager and going out there he was being honored with barry gordy on, on friday um which is uh, uh an event called Music Cares. And he and Gordy, um, you know, obviously founded Motown, and there was the first time Music Cares um, has honored two folks of their staff. Uh, Music Cares is an organization that's part of the Grammys, which essentially raises money and helps artists in the past that are struggling maybe financially or, or health reasons. So, you know, it's, it, all the artists come out for that event, and it's a black tie. And that started off the weekend. And then Saturday are the Grammy parties from Clive Davis, the Primary Wave Music Company, and then Sunday the Grammys. So, uh, you know, the interesting thing on Friday is how many artists that, you know, you can walk up to them at the tables from the Isley Brothers, the Show Crow, Elton John, Tom Hanks, um, John Legend. And, you know, there's one performance after another honoring Motown. Um, the Temps were there. I had the opportunity to speak with those guys and hang out. The Four Tops. Um, you know, John Legend was really nice. Got a chance to shake his hand, talk to him. Again, they were honoring Smokey and Barry. So uh, it was really, really a special night. Yeah, sounds like it for sure. Now, let's go back. <clears throat> the 17-year-old Bob Bazelli. Tell us about your life in Bloomfield and your goals and dreams at the time. Sure. As, as, as most of you know that we built the, the little Italy of Pittsburgh, and growing up in, in the neighborhood was terrific. I mean, every corner had, you know, groups of friends uh, from the lower part of Bloomfield Middle to the upper. Uh, went to Immaculate Conception, which was primarily an Italian church where the priests were Italian. They would speak Latin at Mass when I was younger. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, I didn't realize... Uh, there was anything more than that neighborhood until I graduated and went to Central Catholic. And, um, you know, we all had family within a two-mile radius. I had six aunts and uncles, my cousins, um, literally on, you know, various streets close by. Um, grew up with a lot of friends from different neighborhoods, ethnic neighborhoods, from Lawrenceville, where they were Polish. Hill was Irish. The Hill was black. And we had a terrific childhood, you know, um, playing sports literally every day. And uh, you can live, go to anyone's house during the week and have, you know, pasta on Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> and, you know, and all the restaurants were there from Dell's to Lumberdozies. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was special in that <clears throat> sense. And, um, uh, in, you know, we all were almost like family because we come from the same two towns. Literally, everyone from that area was from Calabria or Abruzzo, you know, and so uh, the towns within those areas, Casenzo, as well as Rocco Centimento, was the main family. So, you know, a lot of the families were close from Italy coming in here. So many of the legacy families that we have were the Palmiers, the Mariannis, obviously the Bazzelli families, um, and on and on. So uh, it was a pretty special place. Bob, I got, that's funny. I uh, grew up on Edmund Street. And I went to Mac, oh, yeah. and I went to Central. And I'm just a few years behind you, and I have a feeling that I went to school with some of your cousins because I knew some Bazzellis, and I'm like, when, when Claudia says, Bob Bazzelli, I'm like, Bob Bazzelli? I know Bob Bazzelli. I mean, wow, it's a small world, though. But uh, but I am curious. When's the last time you were back to Bloomfield? Oh, I go there often. I, really? you know, I have family that way. I have cousins. Um, I still have many friends down that way. Um, you know, so, I mean, I live up north, Gastonia, Treesdale, in the suburbs, but... You know, my parents just passed away not too long ago, so I was there literally all the time. And I still have close cousins down there. Uh, Marie Marino, my cousin Valerie Scatina, 
Um, oh, yeah, I know all these names. Are, <laughs> now, do you, do you still yeah. see it as Little Italy? When you go around, you see all the old places are gone. What do you think? Does that, is it still Little Italy to you? Is it always going to be Little Italy no matter what? Well, it depends. You know, it's indicative of the times, right? It, 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 there's eclectic neighborhoods. You have a lot of young folks that are families that are coming into the neighborhood because of its close proximity to the city if they're working in the city. That's a great community. Um, you know, it, it's changing, um, but so are many of the other neighborhoods. Lawrenceville is no longer an all-Polish neighborhood, uh, as well as Garfield. It's changed. Uh, it's becoming more artsy, and which is great. And East Liberty is eclectic. So, you know, I still think there's roots there. There are families um, that are still there from legacy families, but many are moving out. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, it's tough because some of the, neighbor, some of the restaurants have closed. And they really added to the charm, uh, and hopefully new ones will come in. Um, so that part has been a challenge. You know, Alexander's, Lumberdozies, Dell's yeah, are closed. Yeah, but you have to Sorrows. You, you know, you have Lot 17. You have Froggies, and some of those folks are from there. And G's on, on Liberty. I mean, she's terrific. she got great food. And, you know, it's just it, the fact that it's still a strong, you know, viable neighborhood and the growth from Lawrenceville is creeping up towards Bloomfield. So uh, the, the challenge, although the churches are closed, which is tough, you know, Mac the Conception and St. Joseph, which was a German church at one time, beautiful churches. Um, the problem is, um, you know, the diocese to maintain those those type of churches, it takes a lot of money. <laughs> right. And a lot of us move out into the suburbs, so, you know, the, the constituency has changed, but... Nevertheless, it's still a wonderful place, in my opinion. Bob, as I said, you're 17-year-old Bob <clears throat> What were your goals and dreams at that age, ambitions? Well, you know, at 17, I was a senior graduating from Central Catholic. Um, you know, I was looking to go into accounting and business. Um, looking at schools, I wanted to continue to play baseball as well as uh, go to a good school for accounting. And the counselors at Central kind of... Kind of gave us some guidance at the time. You know, I had the fortunate opportunity of playing baseball uh, at Central Catholic. At the time, we were ranked two or th- number two or three in the country. Uh, our team was loaded with talent. Uh, Danny Marino, he was my made Mike Berger, Tony LaCava, who's now a GM, I think, of Atlanta. Mike Berger was GM and coach of Florida Marlins and obviously Dan Marino Hall of Fame. Um, so at that juncture, you know, we were – Looking to move on, and for me, going into accounting uh, was kind of the next step. Uh, was first one in my family to go to college and graduate, and um, you know I have a cousin Tony Bazelli. He's probably ten to twelve years older than myself, and he was at Deloitte at the time. He was someone I looked up to, um, and then he really helped me as I progressed in my career. He ended up becoming the vice chairman of Deloitte North America, which is a big deal. Um, he came from Bloomfield. So, uh, you know, the, the tough part, there was a group of us from Immaculate Conception to Central Catholic. We were close, 12 to 14 of us. And then we became close friends with everyone from Central. And then you go to college and then you kind of part, you know. So, um, and, that, and, and that was making new friends in college and whatnot. So uh, at that juncture, you know, you end up the business world. And I was working in the city, uh, which I've worked for the last 35 years. So, like, you know, at the back of my hand. Well, you know what? You mentioned that. So, so tell us about your business life. Uh, I, I, at the beginning, I told everybody what you do now. But uh, how about your first couple years? Sure. You know, I, I started at Mellon Bank at the time. And, I, you know, I was, before that, I was looking to become an, a CPA, an accountant. And, you know, I had an internship uh, in an accounting firm and, I really felt like it wasn't the right culture for me. Um, the content, the knowledge, the information was terrific, but for me, accounting it was just a little bit dry, a little bit boring. Ended up going to Mellon. He made, made me an offer out of school, and then I worked in the capital markets department. Capital markets, the most folks, they wouldn't know that, but it's really the trading pit, the floor where the bank trades its portfolio. Right. And, you know, I was dealing with Wall Street which, you know, I had no clue at the time. But it was, it was really uh, exhilarating, at the same time interesting, fast-paced, and it really brought me into a different aspect of business, which was high finance and bond trading, you know, dealing with lots of $10 million and up, 
Um, so, you know, when I was at Mellon and I realized I wanted to get more focused into banking and finance, and so I went back to graduate school at Carnegie Mellon. Um, did that for two years, and then I came out and I had a few different offers in USX at the time, which is U.S. Steel. Had a great opportunity for a, like a management training program, which r- would rotate me through different departments, which was terrific. Great, gave me great exposure to the manufacturing end um, of business. So I spent time in selling steel, manufacturing at the plants, operations um, to the Treasury Department, dealing with clients such as uh, Whirlpool. Um, God, I had all the big GM auto companies, so at 27 years old, it was a big deal. You know, I was a manager of a group of folks that were in the 50s, so that was a little bit of a challenge just in itself, you know, so. Sure. Uh, but it, it was great experience, and I really got to understand many companies and how they work, and, um, you know, it, Caterpillar was a big client of mine at the time. And then um, after U.S. Steel, you know, I started exploring banking and I had some folks talk to me about going into wealth management, my experience with a lot of the company CEOs. And uh, I had a great mentor who I thought become close with named uh, Ken Dorsett and, and Lee Gosenberger. And those two gentlemen were at PNC. I got to know them and they gave me an opportunity to call me over to uh, go to PNC and work in the wealth management area really was focusing on managing folks' money, high net worth folks, million-plus, two million-plus and up, and really learning more about planning and trust in the state. And, uh, you know, it was, it was terrific because, for me, the longest time at U.S. Steel and even at Mellon, I was working with companies, and you're helping companies, working with companies, selling and representing companies. When I went into the wealth management side, I really found my calling. You know, I wanted to help people. Right. I found a niche, and I really felt comfortable. It didn't seem like work to me. And I really was able to help individuals with many challenges, whether it's, you know, family-related, business-related, financial-related items. And I had a team, and the bank was a great training ground for me as well, and uh, exposure. So I got in, that's how I started getting into that component of my life. Now, with all the great things that you've done, the thing that stands out that most people are going to want to know, how did you hook up with the great Smokey Robinson? Well, after PNC, I ended up um, going to Fifth Third Bank. There was a gentleman at PNC named Jay Ferguson. He was an executive, great guy. He went over to start Fifth Third Bank here in Pittsburgh. It was already one of the top, you know, 10 banks in the country. And, uh, he was, called me on Christmas Eve and wanted me to speak with him. And we, the two of us, I went over with him, and we grew the bank. Uh, during that period of time, I had a client out of Youngstown. And um, we ended up going to Tom Petrarca. He was an Italian real estate developer of malls, very similar to the Bartolos, and uh, asked me to go to the uh, Kentucky Derby. So... You know, at the time, Linda and I were together. We went to the Derby, had a great t- experience, sat in the uh, Churchill Downs in their, that main suite area, and lo and behold, there where all the celebrities were. It was a little bit overwhelming when, you, when you're sitting there, and Hugh Hefner's there, Tom Brady, you know, uh, David Letterman, mm. and you're in a private suite. It's a huge suite, very similar <clears throat> to the Allegheny Club, um, the okay. way that used to be at the yeah. Stadium. So it's like tiered. So I'm sitting at a table, and um, there's about seven, eight of us there, and I, I was just excited. Never been to the Derby, so I thought this is a big deal. This is a bucket list item, you know, and it's so exciting, and so many people there, and a special day. And then, lo and behold, Smokey Robinson and his wife Francis walk over, and they knew Tom, who I was with. Tom is the, you know, he's a well-to-do gentleman. He's connected in terms of real estate and business and whatnot, and he knew Smokey from going to the Derby for the last 10 years. He introduces me as his banker, and uh, lo and behold, when I said Pittsburgh, his wife, Frances, is from Pittsburgh. So she took a liking to Linda and I, and we're sitting there, and then Smokey, within 10 minutes, 
gave me a hug, walks away, comes back, hands me a cell phone. Audio. He hands me a cell phone. I, I looked at him and I said, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, within 10 minutes, I, he just handed me the phone. And he goes, he's like, no, baby. Here, man. No, no, no. Take the phone. So I, I get on the phone and there's Don Barton. Don Barton. And I knew instantly once he gave me the phone, uh, he was the uh, owner of four to five different casinos. And in Pittsburgh, his company was the one, the company that won the bid to build the casino here in Pittsburgh. Right. And as soon as he got on the phone, you know, he was talking with me, and he knew he was smart enough to understand Fifth Third's bank was um, a bank that would lend to gaming in the industry, which is casinos. And he started talking to me, saying, listen, I'm, you know, nice to meet you. I'd love to talk to you. I need a bridge loan for about $186 million. And uh, would you be able to help me? And uh, plus, I want to navigate some of the um, councilmen down there. <laughs> he says, I need some help. They're giving me a hard time on the north side. And I, I was laughing because I couldn't believe how fast this happened. And sure. I said, sure. I said, you know, let me give me, a, give me a, you know, some time. And I called our chairman, and we started to help him. So Smokey was going to is 1% owner of that casino at the time. So he obviously had some interest in getting the thing financed. And then we became, you know, friends after that moment. And I helped him on other things. His wife, Francis, reached out to us. And, you know, I was, just became um, business relationship to friends, helping them with their family issues and then becoming a business advisor for him on his company and then learning the business. So I ended up going out to California. He has a home in California, one in Vegas and one in Pittsburgh. So as we started to things together. I ended up partnering. A gentleman called me. His name is Phil Quattararo. Phil used to be the president of Virgin Records, Capitol Records, and a division of Sony Records. And he reached out to me, Italian guy from Brooklyn, New York. And uh, he wanted to work with Smokey. And once we connected, he and I started doing business together. You know, and so, you know, Phil has represented artists from the Rolling Stones to Janet Jackson, Garth Brooks, you name it. So if any of the artists needed any help, financially, trust, the state, you name it, they would come to me through film. Wow. And then, you know, we started working with Smoke. You know, Smokey, you know, he's the he's the king of R&B. I'm Mount Rushmore, you know, he's for up sure, for sure. music. And uh, everyone looks up to him. You know, when you're with him, those artists pay homage to him. Um, and uh, sometimes I, I forget that, and you get to know him. But he's such an avid golfer. We golf, and in in around Pittsburgh when he's here, we had the pleasure of golfing with Kevin Colbert and Larry Richard, myself, and that was a real thrill. And Smokey loved it. You know, he had a great day, and uh, you know, he's he's just such a he's such a class act. He's he's the consummate professional. Works hard at what he does. Um, he's respectful to all his fans. You know, once you once you're with Smokey and you see how he treats his fans, no, if, if I see other artists that disrespect the fans or even ball players, no, oh, yeah, you know, doesn't come close. He he always takes the time, you know, and and there's nobody bigger than him. So I don't know why anybody would not look at him as as the benchmark on how to be when you're at those levels. You know, uh, you know, I told you a story one time. I was at Pamela's, I think it's called, the Breakfast Place in uh, Squirrel Hill. Or Sheila's, whatever, one of those names. But anyway, I'm looking at this guy. He had a ski cap on, earring, you know, good-looking guy. And I'm saying, who is that guy? And it was really frustrating, you know, because I, I, I knew who he was. I went up to get some napkins, and I he saw my ring, and he said something about my ring. And all of a sudden, I knew it was him, obviously, from his voice. And I said, Mr. Robinson, he said, call me Smokey. I said, Smokey, you're not going to believe me. But in my car right now, I'm playing your song from 1982, <laughs> Tell Me Tomorrow. And he laughed. And it was the truth. I had it in my car. But uh, he was he was very nice in that, that quick uh, meeting with him. Steve? No, Bob, that's, that, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm kind of curious, as you... As you've kind of grown and progressed, and now and now you're kind of working a lot of uh, you know larger clients, individual clients. Did that sure. does that has, has that changed how you you know do your job as you start to rub elbows with these people, these big names? You're like, all right, I got to do things a little different now. Does it or or doesn't it? 
It does. It does. Like, you know, first of all, the, the fundamentals are the same. You know, when, when I was at working with business owners, which I still do, um, you know, we had the opportunity to work with Mr. Scaife when I was at Fifth Third. You know, so, you know, he's $4 billion, so he's a celebrity in his own right. So you almost have experience working with folks that are complex in financial situations, businesses, and families. When it comes to the artists, it's no different. It's the same, only they're, they're famous to the public for entertainment. Um, when you're with them, I found that being who I am, true to my roots, um, being transparent, being honest and forthright is what they're looking for. Um, out in California, you know, it's hard to find folks that are always straight up because everyone seems like they're an entertainer, even the CPAs, for God's sakes. Um, so, you know, they, they respect your knowledge. Um, you got to be humble. There are times people want to take pictures of me <laughs> because I, I work with Smokey, which is kind of weird, but it happens often. Um, I also have to... Be careful on what I do and say, you know, because it reflects to him. And, you know, but, I, but I've always been that way no matter what. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's there's times that I'm, I'm with Smokey and he's in certain uh, areas that people are coming up to him and, and to me and to myself. And, um, you know, I, I try to handle myself properly, you know, and as I always do. But at the end of the day, it's just being who I am based on my roots and and that's what these folks are looking for is someone genuine that they can trust. Most of those artists have told me that. You know, so I, I try to remember that at all times and not get caught up in the side of it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Now, Bob, you mentioned your parents. What was their reaction? What did they say to you? There, there's nothing better than to make your parents proud. Everything I ever did was to hear my parents, you know, say, hey, I'm proud of you or I love you or whatever. Uh, how, what was their reaction to see all of your success? Well, you know, my, my, my parents, my father and my mom, you know, whenever I would work, when I first got my job, when I would move on to another company, they used to get stressed out because <laughs> it, they come from uh, the old school where you were in one place, 30, 40 years. And so when I told them I was leaving uh, Mellon to go back to grad school, like they were looking at me, I was like, I was crazy. And um, then I got a job at U.S. Steel, and then they were like, oh, this is great. It's a big company. You know, they're huge. Someday you'll be chairman. <laughs> and then I went on to PNC, and they were like, why are you leaving that company? So it was hard to explain, but each time um, any success I had, they understood. I think they were proud, you know, obviously. Uh, at times my dad would say and brag about me and my mother, but I just wanted to make sure that I always did the right thing in their eyes and um, – I try to remember how my father was as a, he was a police officer and uh, he was a great police officer for 26 years at Elegant County. Um, he won policeman of the year four times. He worked with Robert Croner and uh, the way he carried himself and how people treated him. I would always think about it. And uh, he was like a, a celeb in, in, in the city. People always used to talk to him, call him, come to our house, see him. And so, you know, I tried to do the same things at these companies and, for them, I, I think, you know, it was, they they wanted to see me do well. When I was with Smokey, that was a big deal. But my father might have thought, you know, a big deal was, you know, the next position of me being in the newspaper or something like that. You sure. know what I mean? So, um, But, you know, my, my, and my mom was... You know, uh, she used to work part time, but she really was a you know housewife and taking care of my sister and I. You know, so I mean, listen, they were both from Bloomfield. They grew up there. They married. They lived their lives there. You know, so uh, they were married sixty plus years. And um, at times, I, I would think about my family when I was working and some of the values they instilled in me on how they would treat people from all levels, whether it was the janitor, somebody in the kitchen, to the someone who's a president of a company, you know, I try to do the same thing with everyone. And, you know, when I talked to Smokey, he, he and I would have those conversations same way as the way he would treat everybody. So it's helped me, you know, in those in, in that sense, from a business standpoint as well. Good. You know, it's, uh, it's funny that you say that. I had a friend literally just today told me, you can't unbake a cake. 
So who you are, it's when you grow up, all those moments, all those things, they make you, you. And unless something good or bad happens catastrophically, you're going to be you. And that's, that's actually good to keep those roots. With that being said, I'm curious, as you were growing up and maybe even into your younger adulthood, is there a moment or a person or some advice or something, I don't want to say that changed you, that, that put you on a course that ended up getting you where you're at now? Um, I would say, I would say there was a time when I had the opportunity to be on boards and uh, I really didn't know what it was like to be on a board. And when I uh, was running a bank, um, I had the opportunity to go on to a board, for instance, at the Carnegie Museum. And then I had a chance to go on the Italian Scholarship Board. And honestly, I, I, it changed me in, in the sense that my whole life, I was focused on, you know, helping wealthy people and managing companies. And then I realized the folks in the nonprofit world, how special they were and the differences they made. And I just wasn't aware. You're living in a bubble, so to speak, for the longest time. And it gave me a chance to learn and respect the different organizations on really what they do. So for me, um, there was a moment when that happened, and then I just realized that I want to give back. And the way I was able to give back is helping organizations get connected to folks to help them raise money, to add my expertise as a financial advisor, banker, or accountant, help them do better or help those individuals. And so for me, it really made a difference for me um, on when that time came. So I ended up going on various boards to the point where I was stretched in it. <laughs> but uh, I really, I really um, love that experience and still do it to this day um, because people look, look at you to help the organization. I can move the needle and make a difference by connecting people, bringing money in, helping them with expertise, and it helps the organization do, do what they do well. Bob, a few more things from me here, if I can get through this with this voice of mine. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to, Smokey wants me to be a backup singer. What do you think? Maybe way back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But uh, now you have two daughters. Tell us about them and some of the things that you try to instill in them. Sure. Um, I have two daughters. My oldest is Cassiana, and my youngest is Gianna. Cassiana just graduated a year ago, and uh, she is working for Federated in their marketing department. Um, she graduated from Worcester College, and she was a student athlete, played lacrosse. She was terrific. Gianna um, is in her senior year at University of Akron, and she is also a student athlete, played lacrosse, was ranked in top in the country, and she's in engineering, mechanical engineering. Um, the one thing Linda and I, I think, instilled in the girls that I'm most proud of is that um, they're very respectful, they're ambitious, um, they treat everyone uh, with sensitivity. You know, my, my oldest is very empathetic at times, about everyone. Um, they look at everyone in the same context. They, they don't judge. Little things that, as they got older, I was hoping, and they are doing nowadays. Um, and, you know, they're, they're independent to the point too much sometimes. <laughs> you know, right. they want to do everything on their own. And, uh, but, you know, I, I think the things that we were able to do, you know, Linda was in pharmaceuticals as, as a manager. I was in banking, so they had two role models that were, you know, working parents, and sure. I think that that's reflected to them. And at the same time, um, you know, it's funny as they get older, they start asking questions to me, like <laughs> that's really what you do, you know. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so for the longest time, but they were they have been terrific. You know, they're the loves of my life, and, uh, and at the same time, um, you know, I'm glad they come to ask questions to me. Um, you know, my second daughter, you know, she's 21. She wants to be a mechanical engineer and work on cars, which she's already doing. Wow. Um, so, you know, in that world, it's a male-dominated business, sure. so to speak. And, uh, you know, she's been excelling, so we're proud of both of them. Well, and they're close, so. You know what, Bob, like I said, I, I unfortunately we have to go, and I appreciate your time. You gave, gave great stories, and you've been nothing but fantastic with me. You're one of the smartest people that I've ever 
met, and I mean that with my all my heart. You and again, I appreciate your kindness to me, and I and and uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for your time today, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Thanks, we appreciate guys. your time. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Thanks, Bob. Okay, Fantastic. You. Wonderful, oh, wonderful he, guest. He's a great guy. Now, Claude. we have two two guests oh, yeah. uh, lined up here. We have Missy Bertiotti, Hall of Fame golfer here from Pittsburgh. She's also in the finance world. And Donnie Irish just got to me. He's going to be on our show probably after his concert, March 11th at Robert Morris. We'll give him a plug. But uh, he'll be on our show. And Donnie's a great guy as well. So we have uh, a lot of good people. And Bob is a special person. Fant- so no, nah, he he's on. fantastic. I Wow, I didn't realize this. I mean, he's... He's a few years ahead of me, but yeah, he is literally right around the corner. And I yeah. know the Bazzelli, so I'm like, I bet we've definitely walked past each other on the street. <laughs> oh, yeah. No yeah. doubt in my mind. Yeah. Uh, but that's fantastic. But that, unfortunately, though, it does look like our time is just about up. Yeah, and again, I apologize. I'm, I'm, I try to give Joe Collins a try. Hopefully, I got a no, six it's out of all ten good. today. It's all but, good. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, we'll be back next week and uh, enjoy doing the show, Bob. And or yeah. Steve, I said, I'm even screwing up your name, no, Bob. Okay. At least I didn't call you Mark. That's an <laughs> you inside can call joke. Me rule, that's right? an, you remember that's that an inside comedian? joke. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. Well, listen. Uh, before we go, though, I do want to come up one little funny thing. Um, with the Super Bowl coming up, if Philadelphia wins, I almost think if Philadelphia loses, you're going to see a lot of videos out there with people from Philadelphia climbing up the pools. And it turns out, just as a quick thing, we from Pittsburgh might be watching these videos and laughing. Well, it turns out that it's actually that whole pole climbing thing and climbing greased poles is an Italian thing, and they do it all over the world. It's a big competition, and I think they call it Albero della Cucagna. I think that's pronounced that right. If I think I said that right, but um, so before we start laughing at people from Philadelphia climbing up foam poles, <laughs> right. remember that's an Italian tradition, and they actually do those competitions. But go. before we go, I'd like to also thank Hank Eduardo for the music again. Yes, Hank, appreciate the music, and anyone if you're looking for a performer, Hank's a wonderful guy. He's been doing this for a long time. He does a variety of classic, modern Italian favorites. Appreciate it. You can find him out there on Facebook. It's Hank Eduardo. And if you want to tune in again next week, again, we're going to have Missy on. Missy Bertiotti. Right. And we're going to have, and also hopefully we're going to have more questions. We appreciate some of the emails we've been getting. But again, we kind of appreciate that if you would like us to read and answer your question on the air, if you've got anything that you want to maybe follow up on some of the things you heard on some of the shows, please don't be shy to email us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. And Claudio, what else? I'm just hoping I sound better next week. <laughs> all right. Again, folks, we appreciate Thank you your all time for listening. And hope you enjoyed it. All right. And by the way, one last final thing. Don't forget, ItalianImpactWeekly.com. Get out to the website just in case you missed our uh, episode or you can't catch it live. We're going to have them out there on the website. So we appreciate you folks joining. And again, for the folks that can't join because you're traveling, stream us live on khbradio.com or get out there at italianimpactweekly.com. And Dr. Roscoe, give me a call. He's an ear, nose, ear nose, and throat oh, guy. Yeah, I can Dr. use him. Dr. Roscoe, you owe right. us for last oh, yeah. week's interview. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been sick last week. All right. Thanks, folks. Italian Impact Weekly has been sponsored by Steve Mancini and his sponsors.